beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. My goodness, I thought, you know, for a minute there, I was in my in-laws church in Darlington, South Carolina. Beautiful. Feels like I'm home. Um, the last time I was here, uh, it was the weekend of Juneteenth. And since then, we've had wonderful things that have happened in our family. We have a brand new baby girl who was born two weeks ago yesterday. So we are, and her name is Maylee. And, and Maylee came early. She came at uh, 34, 32 weeks gestation. But by the grace of God, she will be going home this week because she is Williamson Strong. <laughs> thank you for worship team. I just want to thank you again just for um, the way that worship actually calms your spirit. And so it did that for me, and, and I'm so grateful. But when my brothers were introducing me, I was thinking, um, well, they, they didn't tell quite the whole story. Um, they never said that I fuss a lot. Um, they said that I encourage, but I do fuss a lot too. So they didn't tell the whole story. <laughs> but you know, I, I do get to do that because I am the oldest sister. So, okay. And now I am the matriarch too, which I do keep reminding them of that as well. But so you can see I have a lot of tissues in my hand because I have been teary just from being able to be in this place. So I am happy, I'm blessed, and I'm grateful. And those words describe me right now. I want to thank Pastor Chris, First Lady Darina, and the Strong Tower Bible Church family for setting the table well to make space available for God's diverse kingdom champions, of which I don't consider myself one, but I've been told I am one. So I do bring you greetings from Baltimore, my Ravens purple. There you go. See, because, you know, I did get catch the end of that uh, preseason game yesterday, so there we go. And we've never lost a preseason game. How about that? See, see what I learned about that? So I bring you greetings from Baltimore and my village there. And for all who are um, streaming in online, hello. So I do stand here today with the blessing of my ancestral village, which includes my dear parents who love the ministry here. And I also want to acknowledge some very special people that I have with me today. As Chris said, all four of my siblings are here. My sister Cindy, my brother Harold, and Wayne, and Pastor Chris, of course. And I just want to thank you all for supporting me and undergirding me um, with prayer. Thank you so much. Also have my granddaughter here. So if you follow me online, you know that she is called Diva too. So, so, <laughs> so she is here, and her name, her real name is Reagan, but um, I call her Diva too. I want to acknowledge my friend Harriet 
Uh, she's been my dear friend for 50 plus years, so she's here today. And my armor bearer, Eartha, who traveled with me and made sure that I have everything that I need. And sometimes it's a little over the top, but I do appreciate her and all that she's brought, um, all of the peace that she's brought me uh, this weekend. Um, and last but not least, I want to honor and point out my covering and biggest cheerleader, my husband, John. And tomorrow, Lord willing, we will celebrate 45 years of marriage. So I am truly, truly grateful because if you know our story, you would say, Lord, that had to be you. So we are just so grateful to celebrate 45 years of marriage tomorrow. And it's not lost on me that as a 65-year-old graying, and I looked in the mirror this morning and thought, we're really going to have to do something about that because this, this is not okay. It's just not okay. But I'm a 65-year-old woman who's a wife, a mother, a grandmother, and a great-grandmother, and that I can still be serendipitously serendipitously surprised. And I'm grateful that God still has new assignments for me. And I hope that's an encouragement to you as well. It's not over till God says it's over. So, okay, so when you go grab a chair, God says not yet. You don't get to sit down yet. Well, occasionally I'm asked how I would describe myself. And I tell people that I'm an introvert who loves to have good conversations. And notice I said good conversations. Because I come from a family where we have lots and lots of conversations. And yet, when we would go on vacations together, I was always looking for somebody to talk to at 5.30 in the morning, and nobody wanted to have conversations. <laughs> so they just left me out hang, hanging out there. So I do enjoy having good conversations with my women friends as well. Now, my conversations with these dear women really contribute immensely to my growth as a Christ follower. I learn so much from them. And being in a predominantly white church back in Baltimore for 38 years has afforded me to have many friends who don't look like me. In fact, out of all of the women in our women group, I was the only black one from the time that we spent together was over 25 years, which was fine. We were very close. Uh, we literally grew up together in our mid-20s when we arrived at Grace Fellowship Church in Baltimore through our 50s. So I always like to joke and say, you know, we started off young, but we're all wearing granny eyeglasses now. So that's how long we've been together. Now, of course, I have black friends as well, and our conversations were different. They just were. We shared similar thoughts and experiences, and when tragedies happened in the black communities, and they were top news items, we could talk about that. But with my white friends, it just wasn't so. 
I noticed that there was little to no desire to understand my challenges as a black woman, especially navigating in a white culture. Our cultures were different, but yet God desires unity. And that broke my heart. I knew that disunity wasn't God's heart and segregation is not God's heart. But in the church, many times, we're still segregated. So, in, 2000, in 2017, I thought I would invite my black friends and my white friends to my literal kitchen table. So I did that. And what I wanted them to do was just to sit without an agenda, which is hard in itself. So no agenda. I just wanted them to have organic conversations that would tear down walls of division. So I would take my seat at the table. We did this for a couple of years. So I would take my seat at the end of the table, at the head of the table, and I would just watch them interact. And believe it or not, you could see the walls of division coming down. So subsequently, um, our conversations served as bridge builders. So I would listen to them, and they were, they were all hanging out with each other. And I'm thinking, well, what about me? What about me? You know, they were all able to connect. So on May 17th, as I said, Kitchen Table Conversations was born. And that was a new thing that God had done in my life. And then a few years later, Front Porch Conversations developed. But I'll tell you about that later. So setting my kitchen table has allowed me to live out my passion in real time with the goal of tearing down walls of racial division one conversation at a time. So this passion serves as the impetus for what I want to share with you today. Jesus' conversation with the Samaritan woman at the well. We'll see from this conversation that conversation matters. So let me open us in prayer. Holy Spirit, rain down. Amen. So if you would turn in your Bibles or on your phones or whatever device you have to John chapter 4. We can read together. So we're going to read John chapter 4 verses 1 through 30 and then we're going to pick it up at verses 39 to 42. And it reads as follows. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. 
Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I don't have to get thirsty and have to keep coming back to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right. You are right. When you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands. And the man you have now is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain, not in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, who speak to you, 
am he. Just then, as his disciples returned, they were surprised to find him talking with the woman, but no one asked, what do you want? Or, why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Follow me down to verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and know that this man really is the savior of the world. May God add a blessing to the reading of, to his, of his word. So this story may not be familiar to you, but it blesses me anew every time I hear it. And my goal today is to walk you through the story with the hope that it will help you see the beauty of engaging in good, healthy conversations. So from these passages, I want to highlight the walk, the weariness, the well, the water, the worship, and the way. So verses one through four says, now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, if, if you're like me, when you get wind that somebody got the wrong information about you and trying to rope you into something that you, you know, you just may try to correct it, but you may even try to fight a battle. But he didn't. Here we find that Jesus didn't even bother to, to, to do that. He got up and he walked away. Why? Because he knew that their motives were wrong. He knew that because of his rising prominence and popularity, there would soon be a confrontation with the religious establishment like the Pharisees. Yet Jesus knew that all the t at this time it was not right. So he simply walked away and returned to Galilee and let them think what they wanted. Because he knew the truth. And that was all that mattered. So if we follow Jesus' example, we too can stop trying to fight unnecessary battles. Just let it go. Just let it go. Before you are tempted to run down rabbit trail conversations that will take you nowhere, discern if it's time to turn and walk away. 
Know your truth and learn to discern before you engage, especially if it appears to be foolishness bathed in the wrong motives. So the story goes on to say in verse four that on his way back to Galilee, he had to go through Samaria. So let's keep reading verses four through six. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. So as Jesus was walking back to Galilee, he decided that he had to go through Samaria. And I heard uh, recently from an online pastor where he said he had to go through some area. I love that. That, that kind of really fascinated me. So going through Samarit Samaria was intentional. The Jews hated the Samaritans, so much so that they would rather go out of their way so that they would not have to deal with these people. So have you ever hated somebody so much that you would rather go out of your way just to avoid having anything to do with these people? So Pastor Demas beautifully laid it out for you here last week. He told us that the Samaritans were the result of marriages between Israelite women and Assyrian men. The Assyrians who conquered the northern kingdom of Israel did two things when they conquered a new area. They transplant the native men to other areas of the Assyrian empire and force native women to marry Assyrian men. And this prevented uprisings from occurring since the men would be out of their home countries and women would have stronger relationships with their occupiers. But it, was, but it was not the difference in DNA that caused future disunity between Samaritans and Jewish people. Rather, it was the mixture of pagan religious practices in Israel. Now, Jesus did not walk around Samaria. He walked right into it because he had to. So, I'm wondering, when I read these passages, what his disciples had to say about that. Because, you know, being the good Jews, they wouldn't have ever come that way. Was this the first time he even walked into Samaria? Was it their first time? And I believe that he was making a point. He had to go through Samaria because he knew that would make a statement. Everyone mattered. That was going to be the statement. And he was the savior of all. So by the time he arrived, Jesus had walked 30 miles. 30 miles. And being fully man, he was tarred. He, he, he really was. He, he was just tarred. So instead of pressing into his deity, which he could have done... He gave into his humanity. 
He was weary, so he stops on a plot of land that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. There was a well there. And I'm convinced it was no accident. I believe he knew he was about to have a conversation that mattered. It would take place during a mundane duty. So he sat down by the well with no human way to quench his thirst. His feet were tarred and he was in the heat of the day. Now Romans 10 verses 14 through 15 says, beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. His beautifully tired feet would indeed bring good news. Not condemnation, but good news. So he waits for this encounter. I believe he expected this woman to show up, and she did. So let's continue. Verse 7. So when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. Now, have you ever gone to a place where all you wanted to do was to be left alone? You know, where you know, you, you're trying to just duck into the grocery store, you know, you got your bonnet on and your house slippers, and you know, you just pray you don't see anybody that you know. So, you know, and as I'm usually driving to the store, I'll say, God, please don't let me see anybody that I know today. Not today. So all you're trying to do is to get in and out, and you don't want to engage in any conversation. You may not have even showered before you kind of got, got in there to do that. So, well, some people say that the woman intentionally decided to come out at that time because she was avoiding the other women who may have shunned her because of her lifestyle. Now, as we know, the sixth hour would have been our modern day noon, and it would have been the hottest part of the day, like I said. Uh, and most women would have come out early or late in the evening to collect water, but not at noon. So think about this. What was she doing for the six hours before she reached the well? What really made her venture out by herself and not with the other women? Well, the scriptures don't tell us that, so I think we can use our sanctified imaginations. So if she chose to come out later that day, what was she thinking as she walked with her equipment? So was her boyfriend on her mind? Perhaps she was tired of arguing with him about when he was going to marry her. Because, you know, everybody in the town was talking about it, I'm sure. Maybe she was thinking, well, what's wrong with me? You know, I've had five husbands, now I have a boyfriend. Like, what is, what's wrong with me? Why can't I keep a good relationship going? Perhaps she didn't feel well earlier that morning. And that delayed her trip. Perhaps there was someone there that she didn't want to have to deal with either. Maybe she was tired of someone asking for something. Maybe she was tired of just the same old, same old stuff, day in and day out. Maybe she was just tired of her mundane life. 
And perhaps she was just going through the motions of her living situation, hiding out, trying to be unseen. But here she was, intentional or not, being pulled in the conversation she wasn't expecting. She thought this was going to be just an ordinary day. But here she was. And we'll see that she has a story. All of us have a story. And I'm sure all the village people knew all about her story and talked about it too. A story that would shape her identity. A story that labeled her, perhaps as a homewrecker. A story that caused her to hide, to retreat to isolate herself, to settle. But it was her story, a story that Jesus wanted to hear. So how do we know this? Well, he noticed her. He started the conversation. He engaged her, and he asked questions. He initiated a conversation with a woman, this woman. By tradition, a rabbi would not speak with a woman in public, not even his own wife. It was also very unusual for a Jewish person of that time to ask a favor or accept a drink from a Samaritan's cup. Jesus' request genuinely surprised this woman. The disciples were also surprised that Jesus spoke to her. And I'm sure they must have given him the side eye. They didn't say anything, but they just gave him the side eye. But Jesus knew that this woman and everyone in the village had come to this well to satisfy their natural thirst. He used thirst as a picture of the spiritual need and longing that everybody has. And this is important to the story. Now, as a woman, I can especially appreciate the interaction that he had with her because what he does is he recognizes her as an image bearer. She was made in the image of God. Now, he, he didn't bow down to the barriers that the religious folk had set up to justify division. He went right in to prove to her that she had worth. But Jesus broke many norms, didn't he? He broke norms by setting the table with her where he could engage in a conversation. So would you say that the well would be a table? Yes. Tables can be a metaphor for where two or more are gathered. So in the Bible, we know that Jesus showed up at tables and engaged in many conversations around tables. Consider a few tables where Jesus engaged in conversations, along the roadside with the blind beggar, while on a journey with a rich young ruler, on a crowded street with the hemorrhaging woman, on a beach while making breakfast, with his disciples in the upper room, and here at the well with the Samaritan woman. 
So as a son of a carpenter, I believe Jesus crafted tangible tables too. So he built them and he sat at them. Yes. Table conversations, as I said, can break down walls of division. And there was clearly a dividing wall here. A man and a woman, a Jewish man, a Samaritan woman, a dividing wall, Jew and Gentile. And the Samaritan woman would come to experience the only one who could tear down that dividing wall. Scripture tells us in Ephesians 2, 14 through 16, that he is our peace. In his flesh, he has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall. That is the hostility between us. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross. So could this woman's story be yours? Are you fed up with the trajectory of your life and just want to be left alone? Is isolating yourself your remedy? Are you avoiding people because you've been hurt and misunderstood? And is there some area in your life off limits to God? Is your sin keeping you separated? So much so that you may even find it hard to walk into the doors of the church. So he begins a conversation with her on the common ground she alluded to. She said, this is our father Jacob's well. Well, because conversations matter. So let's take a look at verses 9 through 18. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst again. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I don't have to get thirsty and have to come, uh, keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you have now is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. So the conversations continues. How can you ask me for water? Then he made her curious by several th- about several things by telling her 
that he gives us living water. She asked how he was going to access the water without tools. And where was this living water? So I'm wondering if that was a sarcastic question or an honest question. Was she feeling him out to see who he was proclaiming himself to be? She was hooked. She was thirsty for this water that he made her curious about. So when was the last time you had a little talk with Jesus? Do you know he does not shrink back from your questions? He didn't shrink back from her questions. He entered right into the conversation with her. Now, you may not get the immediate answers you're looking for, but he wasn't put off by her questions, and neither will he be when you have a little talk with Jesus. You see, she wanted what Jesus was offering, so she no longer had to come back to the well. She thought she was getting ready to retire. So if, if you know, if <laughs> she, she just, she didn't want to come back, and that's what she was so excited about. But what she didn't know was she was going to get what she wanted all along. So then Jesus changes the subject. So she's asking about this water, and he changes the subject, and he tells her to go call her husband. So, ooh, okay, so now this was such an odd shift in the conversation, and now I'm sure she thought, well, now, see, now you meddling now. You know, see, mm-mm. Nope, now don't, nope. That's the area that I'm gonna keep off limits. I thought this was just brilliant. As a woman who hosts conversational tables, I just thought that shift was just brilliant. So by asking her about her past five husbands and the current state of her life, she had to acknowledge that she was not living a life worthy of her worth. She was ashamed of it, but notice, Jesus didn't condemn her. He didn't ask her to change her ways. He didn't even tell her to go throw the boyfriend out. He did, however, affirm that what she said was true. So consider what makes a good conversation. When you're having a conversation with someone, Focus on common ground, beginning with we're all image bearers and should be treated as such. Consider what word pictures you can use to set the table for a conversation. It could be about family, neighborhood, work duty, weather, frustrations, joy, sorrow, maybe an outfit that the person has, has on, event, an event, a meal, but all of these are spiritual truths. These can be spiritual truths found in every sphere of life. Here, the common ground was water, a natural need that we all have. Next, listen without condemning. Follow Jesus' example. He did that. Now, a few years ago, I received um, kind of an out of the blue a message from a lady that I had been in Bible study with uh, many, many years prior to this. And she had asked me if we could go to lunch. And I thought it was kind of a strange uh, kind of request because 
I hadn't seen her or talked to her in years, but I thought, okay, I'll bite. So I did, and so when I got to the restaurant, she told me that she had seen a, a post that I had made about a kitchen table conversation that I was doing. And um, since I love conversations, I just kind of entered on in. And um, the conversation went something like this. So I said, hey, how are you? Haven't seen you in such a long time. And she says, well, I just wanted to run something by you. And I said, oh, what is it? So she says, I think I'm a racist. So I said, well, why do you think that? And so she talked to me about the way she grew up, all the land her family had, uh, um, the nanny, the black nanny that she had that she, she absolutely loved. But then she told me about her indifference in the plight of black people. So I dug deeper and asked this question, do you believe that black people are equal to you? And she said, no. And I said, you're right, you're racist. <laughs> See, conversations matter, especially the truthful ones. All right, so let's go on down to verse 19. <laughs> so, sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worship on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. So Jesus' conversation with the woman continues. So now it's her turn. So she acknowledges that he's a prophet and pivots to question him about worship. Well, one commentary says, it is possible that this was a genuine source of confusion or stumbling block for her, but it's more likely that this simply was an evasion, trying to avoid the issue of the many prior husbands and her current non-husband. Again, there's just some areas of our lives that we just like to keep to ourselves. So when conversations get too uncomfortable or convicting, someone tries to change the subject, right? So she offered an argument about places of worship here, but Jesus didn't take the bait. Jesus was more interested in winning a soul than in winning an argument. So the prophetic words, when you shall worship, though embracing in its wider sense all mankind may be taken primarily as foretelling the success of the gospel in Samaria. 
And this woman, this woman would play a major role. How about that? So, so far we, in John 4, we've looked at the walk, the weariness, the woman, the well, the water, the worship, and finally we see the way. Follow me in verses 24, 25, start there. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Just then his disciples turned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman, but no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? That's the side eye. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. How about that? Could this be the Messiah, she asked. They came out of the town and made their way toward him. She called their attention towards him. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did, so when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. And then a serendipitous surprise happens. He declares himself as the Messiah. Listen to this. She was the first person he ever said that he was the Messiah to. A woman. An outcast woman at that. Jesus met her where she was. The woman was in the midst of the mundane. She was just filling her water pot, something she did every day. She thought she'd be alone, but she wasn't. It was just another day, or so she thought. But this day was different. She was avoiding people, and now she was running to tell everyone about her encounter with the Messiah. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. So you go from wanting to be alone to now you're running to all of these people telling them about the Messiah. And she preached the good news to everyone. She would collide with her destiny. She would engage with the divine, with deity. She found purpose. She found joy. She would never thirst again, and she would forever be changed by a conversation that mattered. So here's a question. Who do you engage in conversations with? Not to condemn anybody, but to build a bridge. 
Do you believe that everyone has a story? Do you tell yourself, well, I don't, I don't associate with them, and you can fill in the blank, because they go to that church, or they live in that neighborhood, or they don't, they don't got no education. They're poor. They're rich. Well, they, they use drugs. He's an alcoholic. She's an unbeliever. Well, they're immigrants. They're black. They're white, Asian, Native American, LGTB, LGBTQIA, or whatever the other is that builds the wall. We all have walls up. And I know it can be scary to engage in conversations with others because we have so many differences. Debating with someone is not a conversation. I know we like to call that a conversation, but debating with people is not a conversation. So finding common ground between you and others helps lay the groundwork that you can build upon. And our common ground in conversations should be dignity, equality, and freedom. And they're all God-ordained. So here's a good reminder from Hebrews 13.2. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so, some have yes. wittingly entertained angels. Yes. 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 So ask yourself, who is my neighbor? Engage in conversations to tear down walls, one conversation at a time. Focus on common ground, beginning with we're all image bearers and should be treated as such. Consider what word pictures you can use to set the table for a conversation. Listen without condemning. Offer a word in season. Have a talk with Jesus yourself. And be a bridge builder so that you are known by your love, not by what you're against. He showed her the way, the way to an eternal spring of living water by engaging her in conversation. He was the way, the only way to never thirst again. Yes. So after all, it wasn't the water that he came for. He came for her. And brother and sister, he's coming for you as well. So once again, God uses a woman to proclaim the good news. So we, we, we should, we, let's, let's not overlook that. The conversation with the woman at the well tore down the dividing walls. And it was a simple conversation. The seed Jesus planted fell into good ground and produced a harvest because the conversation was with the Messiah. Now Jesus built a bridge and he was the bridge that affected the outcome of her life as well as others. Truth spoken to her and with her opened her eyes and her life would never be the same. Now I've experienced firsthand how good, healthy conversations can tear down walls, as I said. And um, 
After I set the table for my girlfriends, the success of it was living proof of what God can do when you set a table. A table where all are welcomed and respected. So when COVID had come on the scene, I was disappointed because now this meant something different for my literal kitchen table. So that was now off limits. And then right on the heels of that, George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, and Breonna Taylor became household names. So I had friends who remembered that they were able to sit at my literal kitchen table and they needed a place to sort out what was happening inside of that. Y'all remember that season, right? When everybody had questions and they wanted to know what can I do, what should I do? Oh my God, I didn't know that these things were happening and you know, that, that whole conversation. So when this was headlines every single day, they wanted to talk to me. And I was getting all sorts of questions. Every day I was on the phone like all day long and I was exhausted. So I asked the Lord, how do you want me to handle this? I can't be on the phone all day talking to all my white friends about what they need to do now and how to process this because they didn't know any of these things were happening, um, you know, for some reason. But he reminded me that the foundation was already laid. He said to me, Kathy, set a table, a virtual table. Because, you know, Zoom was a new thing back then. And I mean, you know, I mean, we all Zoomed out now, but Zoom was the, 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 the method of conversation and how we connected with, the, with each other. So that's how Virtual Kitchen Tables with Kathy was born. So I set that table and I prayed. I said, Lord, I'm going to invite everybody that called me. So that was 40 people. I only hoped to get five. We got over 30 people who came to that table. So we just sat down for four weeks over Zoom and we had a conversation. We talked about racial biases, prejudices, stereotypes they had and they believed. And you know, they didn't really want to tell you what their stereotypes were, but you know, after a while, they kind of let, let their hair down and kind of tell you what they're thinking about things. So we talked about all of those things. And I can tell you that as I heard things that people said, I couldn't believe it. So in many ways, I had lived in a bubble myself. I was shocked and I was appalled but I had promised myself I would not condemn. I'm just here to have a conversation that tears down these dividing walls. And so that's what we did. So when God prompts you to start a conversation with someone who's not in your purview, step out and follow his example. You too can have conversations that tear down dividing walls, that begin to build a beloved community. When you do, your table mates will drop everything to run and tell others that the dividing wall has been torn down, just like the Samaritan woman. So after my lunch conversation with my friend, 
and my self-proclaimed and, and newly affirmed racist friend, I invited her to that first table. She pulled up a chair, she leaned in, she was transparent, and she learned. And this is the note that I received from her. Thank you for hosting a very intimate conversation where everyone spoke lovingly from the heart. Kathy, you are such a sweet, loving, kind, generous person. You go above and beyond what your gifts are. You have been in the center of so many people's life-changing experiences. You have affected people in so many ways you don't even know. How much you have had a positive effect on us who have been the recipient of your love. I am thrilled that you are who God created you to be. I look forward to another conversation around the table. And then from another table mate, I received this. You prepared and you taught me. You taught me that change isn't always one blinding experience on the road to Damascus. It can come in pieces. You taught me that winning the argument sometimes doesn't change a person. So just don't go there. You taught me that my embrace of these truths about racism and whiteness came from good counsel. You taught me that I don't hold these truths all by myself, that I found them in relationships and, they are, and that they are kept in relationships. Your table has taught me a lot. Your table prepared me and taught me. Thank you. So I'll just say, yesterday I had an opportunity to visit on the Lorraine Motel where Dr. King was assassinated, and I learned all sorts of new stories. So this fall, I'm setting a table, another table. It will be my 12th table. It will be my 12th table. And we're gonna talk about stories that matter. So if you'd like to join the table, I welcome you. If you have someone in your life where uh, you know, it's been hard for you to have a conversation with them, tell them to come on over to the table. I've saved them a seat. <laughs>